All right, Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, excited to chat, Derek. Yeah, it's a hot topic. It, it should and should be hot for a lot of people. And I kind of alluded to that a little bit more during the show. But uh, tell me a little bit about your journey. You've started, you're, you're running a company called Closed now. Uh, how did you get to this point? Give us a quick uh, rundown on your bio. Yeah, I mean, building a company is a blast. We started back in 2017. And my business partner, Spencer Dent, and I, previously worked together at a company in Utah called Qualtrics. Um, I was at Qualtrics for about eight years. The company grew a ton from 45 employees or so to like 1,500 when we left. Wow. Um, shortly after we left, they were acquired by SAP um, for $8 billion. So it was an awesome ride, fun experience to be a part of. And I was in sales leadership there. Okay. And one of the lessons that we learned along the way is that to optimize revenue performance, you need a really solid understanding of why you're actually winning and losing deals, what your win rate is, and how to explain your win rate. And to be frank, we had some struggles with that mm. at Qualtrics at various stages. So it was very competitive, the market that we were in. And there were a lot of times where we were just working off of anecdotes instincts. with with reps after key deals were lost mm -hmm. instincts yeah so um so that's why we left to start closed was to build a, a set of services and software capabilities to help companies better track and understand their win rate and to explain why they're winning and losing deals very good well i i would imagine that if there's any leader on this in this audience, they're probably thinking about their win rate, wondering what that is. It should be an in, an easy question to answer, right? Uh, but the reality is, uh, a lot of times, and I know this from firsthand experience, prior to maybe a, uh, a board meeting, we start scrambling, trying to get our reports together and run all the analytics to figure out really what is our win rate. So. Talk to us a little bit about why the win rate as a, as a North Star is so important. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we make the analogy to baseball. Like, if you want to score more runs in baseball, you have a fixed number of at-bats. Mm -hmm. You only get so many in, in a game. And to have more runs, you need to improve your batting average. In sales, you know, theoretically, you can go, generate more at bats for your team. And so many sales leaders, when they miss quota, their first natural instinct is to think about how can right. we go drive more pipeline? Like right. we more just got to get more, more, more shots on goal, more, more shots on goal. Yeah. And that's just the relentless focus mm -hmm. of most sales leaders. And that's an important part of the equation. But what if you can just drive a slight improvement to your win rate? What impact can that have on your revenue outcomes? And it's pretty massive. You know, if you just think, if you do the math for your business and look back historically at the trailing 12 months, at how many deals you've won and lost and your average deal size, and you do the math on, you know, what if we had just won 2%, 3% yeah. more of these deals? Like, what could that have meant for the business? And you start to realize like, Man, win rate is a powerful KPI. And if we just start measuring it consistently and having open dialogue as a leadership team about 
what we can do better to enable our reps to win more of their deals that can have an outsized impact on your revenue performance. Yeah. Monumental. It's exponential for sure. It's just, uh, it's about being more effective. You know, I, I work with a lot of SDR teams and so I ring the bell of more pipeline for sure. I, that's I'm, I'm biased there. Uh, with that said though, yeah. you know, I've also been part of, uh, SDR teams and, you know, leading up teams where that, where we've been retracted, meaning we've had layoffs because, uh, we couldn't close the SDR team might be booking a ton of meetings and creating new opportunities, but, if there's downstream challenges, whether it's a skill issue, whether it's a product issue, whatever it might be, if we can't optimize that win rate, then you're right. You're not really moving the needle necessarily. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I, I love that fact. But when we say win rate, I think in different people, for different people, it's going to have a different definition. So you're the authority. What? what how do you define <laughs> win rate? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There are ways you can kind of manipulate the definition of win rate. We take a really simplistic approach. Like the key is you just need a consistent definition that doesn't change for your business over time. Okay. So you can track how it's trending, how it's changing and compare benchmark performance against yourself. Cause ultimately that's, what's most important. Um, if you want to start getting into benchmarking against other companies, then that's where you need a consistent definition. And um, when we, you know, when our platform pulls, the trailing one and lost pipeline for a business, you know, win rate is just simply, you know, number of wins as the numerator over the denominator of total number of closed opportunities, one and lost during that, that period. And then you're just taking a, a lost that. number and a win number together. Yeah. You're not, denominator. Saying, yeah. Okay. You're not so, looking at total opportunities in to determine, you know, how many won, right? So we added 1500 new ops this year, we closed 250 of them. I have a win rate. Yeah, Cause... you know, that's where it can get tricky because mm -hmm. like total number of ops in, have all of those ops actually been closed out, closed one or closed lost? Probably not. There's a bunch of those that are okay. still in flight, still right, open, right. that your team is still pursuing. So. You know, that's why we keep it simple and we just say, hey, we're just going to look at closed opportunities, those that have come to an end, they've been marked closed one or closed lost, put that total number as your denominator and as the numerator, put number of deals you've won during that period. And that's going to give you your most straightforward, most consistent definition for, for win rate. Okay. Great. That, that helps a lot, actually, I think, because they, to, like I said, I think different people might calculate it differently when they come up with the term win rate. Um, yeah. That seems like a, a while we want one consistent definition within the organization, whatever that might be, that sounds like something that's more benchmark based, like that's across industry, across something we can rely yeah. on. So uh, I like that as a, as a formula. Now talk about the tracking and the maintaining of this data to actually get to that win rate. Because when you talk to a lot of early stage leaders, uh, they may not, they just don't know what their win rate is a lot of times. And a lot of there's hindrances in that, whether it's a big company, small company, there's, there's challenges to actually get the data to a point where you can rely upon it to be an accurate win rate. So can you talk about what the, like the bench best practice might be around tracking and managing to, 
obviously you have a platform that we're going to talk to, but outside of the platform, if I'm just, you know, an everyday person without the closed platform, what are some best practices? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, tracking your win rate is something every sales team should be able to do internally with existing tools and resources. You know, you don't need a platform like closed to help you gain visibility into what your win rate is. You know, you could report on it, frankly, right inside of Salesforce or Dynamics, whatever CRM you're doing, you should be able to to do it. Uh, most companies would, you know, put their sales ops team in charge mm. and, you know, they they might pull the the pipeline data and visualize win rate in a in a BI tool like Tableau or or whatever it is your your company's using. And so that that is step 1, that's that's fundamental. Is just come up with the def- definition that you're going to use as a business for win rate and make it available to so the hygiene leadership to your exactly. executive team mm. you know, put that metric in front of them on a consistent basis and track how it's trending over time it's helpful if a sales ops team wants to break win rate down by different segments of the business so take the same definition but cut it by industry or customer segment cut it by uh geography cut it by product line cut it by sales team and you start to learn some interesting things about your business you know and if you get real sophisticated you know your sales ops team or revenue ops team could um, even start to do some correlation and see you know in what combination of segments do we perform particularly well like where what combination of geography, deal size, and customer segment and product line do we have just like a surprisingly high win rate versus where do we have a surprisingly low win rate? And that can start to help steer your sales leadership team towards like your true ICP and focusing time, effort, and energy on segments or target customers where you're much more likely to win. So all of that stuff can be done by a savvy sales ops team Mm -hmm. with existing tools that you already have in your revenue tech stack. And it's just kind of fundamental stuff to, to get started where, where closed kind of comes in is taking it a step further and saying, now that you know what's happening with your win rate, naturally you're going to have questions, follow-up questions. You're going to, you're going to see like, man, yeah, we do have a terrible win rate, against this competitor and we know they're a lesser competitor so what's happening there we want to explain why that's happening and that's where closed comes in is helping with the win-loss analysis the uh the the getting under the surface to understand why you're having these outcomes and we could we can talk further yeah. on in the, the call about what that entails to go kind of dig under the surface validate those, those why, that data that we're happening. putting Uh Yeah. But tell me who should own it, though. That's the piece that we had an interesting discussion about in our planning was why don't we see this more in an OKR type of setup or even on some sort of, you know, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be a top line metric that anybody is truly held accountable to. You mentioned putting it in front of executive team and leaders and so forth. But um, from a best practice standpoint, do you see someone owning the KPI, being tied to the KPI, who is that and who is like, I guess who should own it? Yeah, it's a great question. So 
it's it's kind of a fascinating talk topic as we discussed before. Um, you know, previously when I worked at Qualtrics, Qualtrics is a data collection company. They help uh, their clients to run feedback programs like like NPS, for example, okay. that promoter score, popular metric for measuring you know, customer sentiment and loyalty. And a lot of executive teams over the past decade have gotten on board with, hey, we need to we need to continually track and have a pulse on customer sentiment how happy our customers are and nps is a way that we can do that so we want to report on it we want to see it as an executive team we want to track how it's trending and changing over time and if it's dipping we want to you know dive in and figure out why and we want to do initiatives to try and drive it higher and it just becomes kind of a normal kpi that executive teams focus on we're at qualtrics spencer and i we're thinking about leaving qualtrics to start closed and we're like why in the world aren't executive teams as focused or more focused on win rate than they are on their NPS score? Yeah. Like understanding customer sentiment is obviously critically important, but what yeah, question, churn. what question yeah. is more important to an executive team than why are we winning and losing, especially a B2B company where you've got a professional sales team, a sophisticated product, meaningful deal sizes, like, how is an executive team? Are you not paying attention to win rate relentlessly? So, so first and foremost, it should be an executive level KPI that the executive team is tracking, aware of. They should be able off the cuff in a conversation with board members, investors, stakeholders to be able to, to cite what their win rate is and hopefully too by key segments. Um, but there are a lot of other people in the org that could tie their their performance and value to the organization to win rate. Mm-hmm. Sales leaders should be primary owners in my mind. Like who who can have the biggest impact on changing win rate? It's 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 probably yeah, sales leadership. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, sales operators are key key individuals to help with the tracking and the systems in place to, to monitor it. But what's interesting is there are a lot of other people in an org that care about win rate. Um, in tech, the product marketing function is increasingly prevalent, increasingly influential in an organization. They define their role and their success in their role by the success of their product. Like I'm supposed to launch this new product. I'm supposed to enable the sales team to sell it. I'm supposed to influence product strategy. I'm supposed to create the message and the story for this product and what better metric to track whether or not their efforts and initiatives are having success than to track win rate. And if they launch a product and the win rate's 15% and then they do a bunch of sales enablement and they change some things about the product and they update messaging and content, what better way to measure the efficacy of, of those initiatives than to pay attention to win rate and see. Yeah, hey, it's going up. Yeah. Is it going up? Did we do the right things to where more customers now are wanting to buy this product? So product marketing is one that's, that's interestingly enough come to the forefront and even in certain cases define that as a key KPI and like their bonus structure in some cases. So. Right, 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 right. And then I imagine there's a dichotomy of win rates internally too, like by rep, you know, we mentioned segment and industry, geography, product, you know, each 
each rep is going to have uh, is going to be reflected by their own win rate as well. So um, using that as a jump off point for coaching, I would imagine going back to social sales management front line and helping or sales enablement at that point, yeah. I feel like that would be another team that would be tied to to win rate from some sort of KPI standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and that kind of leads to a discussion about how robust and accurate is your understanding of why you're winning and losing. So mm -hmm. if you notice that, hey, we've got some reps that are phenomenal, that win tons of deals, their win rate is disproportionately higher than other reps. And then we've got the stragglers that are underperforming and we want to enable them as a sales enablement team to be as successful as their peers. So we want to provide the training that they need. Well, how do you know what training they need? How do you know what's working for those successful reps? How do you how do you know what the issues are as to why those underperforming reps are actually underperforming? You know, is it aspects of sales execution? Mm -hmm. Is it a lack of product knowledge or domain expertise and they're working with their clients? Is it a lack of sales empathy and communication and understanding the needs of the customer? Or is it something else entirely? Or if across the board, win rates start to decline for the team as a whole, and you as a sales enablement team are trying to drive an improvement there, is it really macroeconomic factors that are leading to a decline in win rate? Or is it a product gap that's now been exposed because your competitors advanced more quickly and innovated, and now you're at a, a deficit from a product standpoint? Mm -hmm. Or is there an issue with your pricing strategy? You know, What is it that is contributing to this decline in win rate or what is it that you can do proactively to improve your win rate and that's where we that's get that's the key issue right there win yeah. loss analysis mm -hmm. of well you need to get under the hood and start figuring out why these outcomes are happening and that's where closed comes in and helps our customers as we help them to establish a disciplined process where every time a deal is won and lost uh, there's a workflow an automated workflow to invite the buyer, the decision maker to provide feedback and input about why they made the decision that they made. And they so can do that through a time. survey or through an interview. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and for a lot of B2B companies, the, the prevailing practice is an interview. Um, it's a lot more effective, more robust. Um, it helps expose a lot more nuances of the sales experience for the buyer. The participation rates are actually higher, you know, 20, 25% of the time, the, the prospect will agree to participate in a win-loss interview, whereas less than 5% of the time, they'll they'll take a survey that you send them. So depending on the nature of your pipeline and the size of your deals, that can, that can dictate whether an interview or a survey strategy makes more sense or a combination of the two to different segments of your, your pipeline. But ultimately, the buyers are the source of truth about why you win and lose. And that's one of the, probably the most interesting things, Derek, that we've seen in our data is when we compare what sales reps report about why they win and lose to what the buyers provide as the answer. Yeah, I'm sorry why, to chuckle, but they did or didn't purchase. <laughs> yeah. Like 85% of the time, the sales reps reason is wrong. Ouch. And 65% of the time, the competitor that the sales rep entered in the CRM as the primary competitor is wrong compared to what the buyer. So, so all those enablement programs that you mentioned earlier that spin off of this data, 
right? It's a competitive thing. It's a pricing thing. Whatever the data might be telling us, then we spin up programs to enable and correct those issues, right? Raise the, the, the awareness, improve the messaging, whatever that program might be targeted at. So you could be just going down the wrong rabbit hole altogether because you haven't yeah. really validated the data that's been put in by your users. And so, so it just on the surface totally makes sense. Uh, anybody who's spent five minutes in sales knows that sometimes you just click whatever in there just to get to the next screen. Yeah. Yeah. There's cases like that. Like we were, uh, we were working with uh, one of the big BI companies and they were feeling disruption from Microsoft because Microsoft had launched their BI product, Power BI and bundling it together, making it essentially free for, for Microsoft users. And that's very disruptive to this other uh, company, other company. <laughs> and guess what? The first pick option in the competitor pick list that they provided in Salesforce to their reps was Microsoft Power BI. But they were just terrified because the data was showing that they were losing all their deals to Microsoft Power BI. They deployed close, they start getting buyer feedback and they start to realize like, we're not losing very many deals to Power BI. We're losing them to our longtime traditional competitors. And we've been way too focused on this threat from Power BI because they go look in the CRM and they realize, you know, reps are just, they're just taking the path of least resistance and, and leaving. I think you said that, they got, the that was the option. first option. <laughs> yeah, that was the first option in the big list. Like, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah lazy man approach. I, look, I've been a rep. I get it. You know, sometimes you just got to pacify the system. And, you know, we put these gating factors in our CRM to make sure that we're getting the data collection. But it's it really re reflects poorly on our operational teams when nobody's going back into that data, verifying it, using it, because like, to your point, that could be going on for a long period of time. And we just assume on the honor system that that's going to be a best effort and it's going to be accurate by yeah. the rep when that's not what you hired me to do, to be a data entry person. You hired me to be a salesperson. And while that's part of the job, I get it. And I'm a big proponent of updating your CRM and keeping accurate data. The reality is we're dealing with humans and humans are flawed. So you, you got to have the valid, the, the closed loop validation, right? You're getting one piece of input from your team within the CRM. Uh, and if you're not going back and validating that data and or using it, then we don't really care about what we put in there as a frontline sales team. So implementing something like closed that can go in and say, okay, guys, 65% of the time you said this and the data after you know validating it through interviews is saying something different. Now we truly have, you know, not only like a beta quality program, <laughs> enablement program that we need to fix for the reps, but we also now it exposes other things too. Like what if we're losing to that longtime traditional person, now we have a program that we can put to play, put in place, I would imagine, that's more tailored to winning with against those yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the end goal of buyer-centric win-loss analysis, where you're collecting this feedback consistently from the buyers post-decision, the end goal is to enable your sales reps to win more deals and to equip them with what they need. And a lot of times it could be sales coaching and training and changes to sales execution. But a lot of times it's other aspects of your solution that you're offering to these customers. It could be pricing related. 
Mm. It could be product related. It could be brand reputation related. Like there's a lot of factors. Experience, just the rep that I was working with. And of course the rep's not going to put that in there. (laughs) And so we find that CROs who own win-loss analysis and are disciplined about it find that it's incredibly powerful enabling data for them to have to then go to other department heads and say with credibility, I really do need you as a product team to make this change because we're losing deals consistently over this product gap. And here's the data. Here's the comments that have been made by recent prospects about why this influenced their decision and why they went with our competitors. So we've been asking for it. We know you're tired of hearing from the sales team that we need X or Y product capabilities, but this has been validated by the buyers and we need this. We had an example recently was the CRO of a company called Consensus, Rex Galbraith. He talked about how, um, you know, he had that intuition that they needed to update the user interface and experience of their product that just wasn't demoing well. It wasn't impressing prospects. They didn't think it was going to be easy to use. And the sales team felt like we need to invest in upgrading and modernizing our UI. But that's like really vague and hard for a product team to embrace. And it's a heavy lift for a product team. And it wasn't until they implemented disciplined win-loss analysis with buyer feedback that they got that external validation and data that they needed to go to the product team and say, hey, guess what? We really do need to make this change. And the product team finally listened because they could see for themselves how many deals had been impacted Mm -hmm. and how passionate these prospects were in describing the negative perception of the user experience. And better yet, what was completely unexpected to Rex when they initiated this program of buyer feedback was that there would be literally no negative feedback about pricing, that no prospect had any concerns about the pricing. In fact, prospects started to share after the fact, like especially one customer is like, we were kind of surprised by how low the price was. And so it wasn't an issue at all. Like we were happy to pay the price that was quoted. And through that experience, the leadership team at consensus gained the confidence that they needed to raise per user pricing of their product by 30%. That's an immediate increase to revenue of 30%. And they never would have known that. Like they they were completely blind to that prior to collecting this type of buyer feedback. So there's a, there's, there's a dichotomy of benefits. It's not just the efficacy and what that produces. There's these auxiliary effects as well. Um, couldn't, couldn't companies do this themselves though? I mean, couldn't they deploy a validation step to do buyer feedback? Yeah, Absolutely. You know, and that's what that's what we initially did at Qualtrics. You know, the reason we found it closed was because some of the challenges we ran into trying to do it ourselves internally. So is it possible? Absolutely. There have been a lot of companies. In fact, we refer to it as the win-loss maturity curve. Very few companies jump straight to contracting an external third party or vendor to help them with win-loss analysis. It's usually a journey of step one, we implement these drop-down reasons in Salesforce, and we start to realize we don't trust them and don't trust the data from the reps. Oh, and we see data from companies like Closed or Gartner saying 
Yeah, don't trust it. It's not reliable. So then they say, let's get buyer feedback and validation. And then it's like, well, we could do this internally. You know, we could we could we could put a survey together of some kind. Um, we could do calls ourselves to get this feedback. And so some companies start to structure programs, and some companies have done really robust internal programs. I think the example of Zoom Info. I was talking to uh, someone was there at Zoom Info prior to the acquisition by uh, Discover Org, mm-hmm. and um, at one point they had a team that was doing like 500 win-loss interviews each year. Oh, like wow. they built a, a disciplined, like staffed internal team hmm. to do this. And so Sir, it can be your, done. Your survey yeah. SDRs. Yeah. So really like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they refer to them as, as like BDRs, but they, uh, they were able to do it, but that that's pretty rare. Um, and we ran into challenges at Qualtrics and Qualtrics is a survey technology company. So it's like, if anyone's going to do a survey for win-loss analysis well themselves, it's Qualtrics. But we started to learn a few things. We started to learn like, hey, interviews are much better than surveys, especially for a product as sophisticated as Qualtrics is. Um, and when you have interviews, there's power in having a neutral third party represent you. Um, Agreed. There's things that a prospect will share with a neutral third party that they just won't share with someone at the company, even though they know that the feedback's going to get directed back. It's just a much more comfortable setting for them to open up and divulge. Like there was an issue with the sales process. In fact, this rep lied to me. Um, and that happens from time to time. Yeah, yeah. And they're just not comfortable sharing that feedback directly with someone at the company. Of course and not. so that's a, that's a big part of why a lot of companies work with a company like closed to do this. And the other part is it's difficult to do it at scale without technology to enable the process. So if you think about this workflow of every time a deal is won and lost, you want to you know, automatically reach out and solicit feedback from the buyer. But as you start to get into it, you realize like, oh, we want to do interviews for our enterprise deals and surveys for our SMB deals. Well, now, like, are you going to have a, a member of one of your teams like go through that and manually curate the list of one lost opportunities. Like, wouldn't it be nice to have a system that just connects to Salesforce? Every time a deal is won and lost, it's automatically transferred to the system. The system has a set of rules that are applied that say, if a deal meets these criteria, we're going to interview. If it meets these criteria, we're going to survey. If it meets these criteria, we actually don't care. We're going to ignore it. And then there's sequenced outreach that's just pre-built depending on you know, the, the product line. So, oh, for product X, we want to have different outreach messaging than product Y. And when you, so you can set those cadences up in advance. And do you really want to conduct the interview yourself or do you want to have a third party do it? Do you really know the right questions to ask or do you need help from a third party to construct that? Then as all this data is flowing back together, it's not going to change anything about your business unless you get it into the hands of people that can make changes. So, how are you going to kick out this insight to your product team? So they can be hearing on an ongoing basis, the feedback about product for your pricing team, the same for your sales leadership team, for individual reps, every time a deal that they were a part of gets feedback. Don't you want that to channel to Is that, that a widget though in my CRM? Cause I know it's kicking off a workflow externally to your system to go do its thing, but is that feedback coming back into Salesforce or dynamics, whatever I'm using at a record yeah. level? Yeah. It depends on what you find most effective for your business. So right. if you that to flow back to an object in Salesforce so that on the opportunity 
you can click in and see the feedback about that deal. You can do that. And I can run a report then obviously, because you probably have a package with Salesforce that I can then now run a report based on the fields that are custom to your package and say, okay, I can run reports in your platform, I'm sure that are default and set ready to go. But if I wanted to have something side by side in my Salesforce dashboards for my sales team, I could do that. Or is all the reporting intelligence for the most part like that analytics in your system? Yeah, most of the reporting is in our system, just because the nature of a qualitative interview mm-hmm. is is pretty unique in terms of uh, tracking drivers and common themes across interviews, visually showing those interviews. Like there's not a good object in Salesforce to receive the okay. transcript of an interview with two parties talking to each other and then aggregate mm-hmm. yeah. themes and insights from across those. So if you push that all back into Salesforce, there's not a lot you could do with it. And so most of the reporting and analytics happens in the closed platform. And that's another reason why having a dedicated platform is powerful because it's one thing to read each individual interview and learn a lot about what happened on those deals and maybe sit down with a rep and coach them on it. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to show up in board meeting and say, okay, across our pipeline, these are the thematic drivers. These are the reasons we win and lose. And they're coming up consistently. And it's been on this many deals that they've come up that's what the platform does for you is on a deal by deal basis to tease out the you know three to eight key decision drivers that influence that buyer's decision and then aggregate those over time and show visualiza- visualizations of these are the top reasons you win. On your wins, these are the most common win drivers, the most common themes behind why they purchased. On your losses, these are the most common loss drivers and click into those and then see everything, you know, individual statements from a bunch of different deals Mm. that give context to that driver. So if the driver says you're losing deals because you don't have a solid API and integration suite, well, what integrations do we really need? And why do customers care about this? What are their use cases? Well, you click into that and then you see everything customers have been saying about that particular topic and why it was influential in their decision. So most of that reporting happens on the on the closed platform side. When I hear about these interviews being conducted, I um, you know, I think about attribution as well and you know, hearing what the real influence was that drove an opportunity to close or, or, you know, what sourced it. Right. And I think there's a lot of debates that happen in, in our teams around that. And it feels like that would be another added you know, benefit you could get from this. Well, that's not the core focus of the product. Uh, naturally, you're going to be able to validate some of that through those interviews, I would imagine as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, we've all been a part of like a postmortem. Where get together <laughs> and you debate why this key deal was lost. Arm wrestling at Qualtrics, like we lost this big RFP that would have been the biggest deal in company history. I was the account executive on that deal, and it was a complex RFP. Like there was a bunch of professional services and custom development we would have had to do to win this deal. It was a new type of customer for us, a new use case. There was a legacy competitor that was really good at doing that had a reputation for this particular Mm -hmm. solution and we lost the deal. I wasn't that surprised, frankly. And I thought like some of the like detail around the custom development we were going to do for the client was pretty vague and weak. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, I didn't think we were going to win this deal. So we go around the table, everyone gives their spiel CEO, Ryan Smith's pretty upset. 
everybody's like covering their ass. Like it was the other people's fault. You know, no one wants to take the blame. And finally, we're just like, why don't we just call them and ask? So we we essentially did a win-loss interview, we called it, and they were very gracious and happy to get on the call and explain to us, like, you weren't even a finalist. Like, we saw, we flipped to the end of the proposal and saw the price you quoted, and it was so much lower than all of the other vendors that we just ruled you out immediately and thought oh, there's wow. no way you can deliver the scope credibly. Like, we just can't believe that you'll do this for that price. price. Mm -hmm. And our price point was like between 500K and a million bucks. All the other vendors were quoting like $2 million. And we were just new to the space and didn't know that that was what people were quoting. And it was a powerful lesson to learn, but it was not one of the reasons that anyone around that table gave. Not, none of us thought. Like they just ruled us out because our price was too low. And so you know, that's the, that's the power of this feedback. So yeah, like, <laughs> that's, it, having that's a post-mortem internally, yeah. like the efficacy of that is really questionable, but doing a post-mortem based on the direct feedback from the buyer can be a powerful training moment and opportunity. Well, what, what do you, during these interviews, the, the thing that you know, if I was conducting the interview, I could see myself there typing notes away, filling in drop down fields, you know, through some guided, you know, document or in your system, you probably have a, a page that guides them through. And you, I'm sure you customize that as a client when you do onboarding, like what I want my surveys and interviews to look like, what questions do I want to ask? And you're going to help influence that. I, I would imagine it's, you can customize it. It's not just off the shelf only, but you know, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up artificial intelligence at this yeah. point, because it feels like that could help automate that process too, and collecting the data and aggregating it and so forth. Is that built in? Is that something that you think you might do in the future? Like where does AI come in into your product uh, now or in the future? Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of applications to your point. We just feel like this is going to accelerate adoption of win-loss analysis and increase the value companies are getting from win-loss analysis. So um, the primary near-term applications of Gen AI are around the summarization of the feedback from the buyers. Okay. So like, for instance, we are launching right here in the next like two weeks, our GPT-4 integration so that every time we've conducted an interview, GPT-4 will just compose a concise summary so today you get a transcript of the conversation and you know those those transcription tools have been around for a while so right, right so that's helpful you can read the conversation or listen to it if you're really invested in the deal and want to hear everything that the buyer said but these interviews are like 25 to 30 minutes so right. it's an investment these transcripts are five really ten pages long yeah. yeah so you know historically we've had consultants write summaries hmm. now gpt4 is strong enough that we're like gpt4 can write the summaries and that's a powerful feature too in the platform for customers that want to do their own interviews so close is also a great solution for companies that want like zoom info to do the program themselves and do their own interviews but they want the technology to enable the workflow automate aspects of it and make them a lot more efficient to just focus on doing the interviews and none of the other stuff so um Gen AI will help with summarization of feedback and common themes and drivers. Um, I envision in the future 
a chat-like interface to where you're not just reliant on reading the feedback and uh, looking at visualizations and charts, but just talk to it. Like who who's our most common competitor in this segment? Like, why do we lose those deals? Like, why do we win when we go against the competitor and have Gen AI just summarize and respond natural language format? Like no. that's going to be powerful. And then on the front end, like there's potential applications hmm. in the mid to long term of like, can Gen AI eventually help with the collection of the feedback? You know, can it be smart about prompting follow-up questions where maybe you can, as a more scalable, more inexpensive form of data collection, but better than a survey, can you have a, like a chat-like interaction where Gen AI is actually asking the follow-up questions? It's listening to the responses you give and you're like, you know, dude, pricing was an issue for us. It was just too expensive. Well, can you tell me more about that? You know, how, what were the competitors price points? You know, it's probably smart enough to, to do some of those prompts, especially if you program a layer on top of it. So, so there's a ton of application and we're, we're actually really excited about uh, what this can do for our product offering and, and our customers. Very good. Very good. So a uh, final question who is the best customer for closed and how do you, you know, charge for it? Yeah. The best customer for us is a data centric truth embracing CRO that doesn't think like they'd have all the answers because they've been on lots of calls with customers, but that's like really eager to understand fundamentally what their team is doing well and poorly during the sales process and how they can train their team better, but also how they can equip themselves with data to go get the rest of the org to align around the initiatives that will help make selling easier for the reps and drive win rates higher. So the CRO right. is a powerful uh, evangelist and champion of win-loss analysis because A, they should want this info for these very reasons. Um, they own the whole sales tech stack that this solution needs to be integrated with. They can deploy sales ops to go actually implement the program. Like they don't mm -hmm. have to do the day-to-day. -day. Sales ops is perfect for implementing. But it's you really need someone with the clout of that CRO title to, as the feedback's flowing through, drive strategic change at the executive level. You know, CEO, maybe even even better stakeholder, but a CRO like really should be the one that goes to board meeting and can report on here's what our win rate is, here how it's here's how it's trending, and here's what our win-loss analysis is telling us needs to change so that we can improve the win rate going forward. And so I'm recommending that we have product team do this, marketing team do this, and that we as a sales team will get better in this area and we're, you know, launching this initiative with sales enablement to address that. You know, it really should come from the CRO and you know, we we've found that they do have the clout and the influence to drive strategic change cross-functionally that's tied to win rate performance. If, if you have a product marketer or just a, a proactive sales operator right. um, or a marketing manager that's trying to implement win loss because there's value for them to have this these answers, totally. when it, they get the feedback back, they're going to realize like, man, a lot of these changes we need to make as a company are above my pay grade. And 
I'm going to need executive sponsorship to get anything done. That's really ultimately going to drive an improvement to win rate. So it's yeah, particularly those that are over the sale, the sellers, like specifically, because yeah. you may bubble it up to your CMO. But again, if it doesn't, you know, I don't know how much the CMO is going to influence the sellers. If we have a CRO, a yeah. VP of sales and C, right. And there are a lot of CMOs that are clients of ours yep, yep. because they know they can't trust the CRM reported data on wins and losses. Like, well, we need this data. Like, we can't we can't build messaging that resonates. We right. can't evolve pricing strategy. Like, we I as a CMO, I want to influence the full go-to-market strategy of our business to you know drive an increase to revenue. And I'm frustrated as I look into what's happening with the pipeline we generate and the low conversion rates. And so I've I feel like I a need is to figure out how we can be improving conversion rates. But to your point, then when they get the data back, if it's a sales execution issue, you know, they've got to go and well we'll stay positive. We'll hope that there's a good stuff. bond there between the the sales leader yeah. and the marketing leader and they can collaborate, align and do all those buzzwords that we talk about and get it done. Uh but yeah, I mean the reality is that it is not as easy uh, sometimes to make that happen. And to your point earlier, the CROs out there or the heads of sales that, you know, hey, I've met a lot of customers. I've listened to my team. I've listened to calls. I have a good finger on the pulse. I'm good. Um, and yeah, I think there's going to be a certain profile for sure that's going to really be curious and want to validate and think pragmatically about this and say, you know what, there's what I think, there's what they're saying, you know, the sales reps are saying, and then there's really what the customer has to say, the voice of the customer. You mentioned MP, uh, MPS earlier. Well, um, win rate, win rate, win rate. Uh, let's let's get that win rate up. Let's validate those that data. Let's check out closed. Where do you want to send people to learn more and to follow you? Yeah, so we have a cool offer for people because a lot of times people are new to this concept of you know third-party direct feedback from your buyers post-decision. So uh, we've got a URL, URL set up. It's freebuyerinterview.com. And um, if you're a sales consultant, you could send you know, your clients there. If you're a head of sales, go to that URL, freebuyerinterview.com. And you can kick off a process by which Closed will actually do a free in-depth buyer interview of a key win or loss that you've had recently and help you see like, What's the level of depth and robustness of feedback that we get about these deals when we deploy a third party like close to go get the feedback? You can experience kind of how the feedback is housed and visualized inside of our platform. So we find that's a really helpful way for business leaders to get a taste of just Absolutely. how valuable this feedback is and just how many blind spots there really are as to your understanding of the outcomes of these deals. There you have it. Uh, and the website is, uh, I believe it's, there's no E. So uh, for those that are listening, close is C-L-O-Z-D. Is it .com or? Yep, .com. Yep. All right. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.